Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We are taping this uh, uh, with, uh, looks like, three hours to go for the, the Super Bowl kickoff because right around noon today, uh, reports came out from ESPN and the NFL Network that the Colts are targeting Philadelphia offensive coordinator Shane Steichen to be the team's next head coach. At this point, I, I've been unable to confirm that through the Colts. That's a little bit out of uh, the norm I think the reason is obvious. The reason is the last time they tried to hire a Super Bowl offensive coordinator, he backed out on them, and it was incredibly embarrassing for the franchise. So I, I don't think you're going to hear anything official from the Colts until uh, the contract is signed. If you're wondering why that hasn't happened yet, uh, it's because Shane Steichen is, as we tape this, two hours and 51-ish minutes or something like that away from uh, calling plays for the Eagles in the Super Bowl. It should happen over the next couple of days. Um, the, the McDaniel situation, I, I understand that it happened before, but the McDaniel situation is such a unicorn that it seems like it'd be ridiculous for that to happen again. Um, and man, if it does happen again, the worst luck in the world. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> but uh, news broke in part because uh, it sounds like they were able to uh, National, uh, yeah, Adam Schefter and, and Tom Pelissero at some point, to some degree, were able to eliminate a lot of the other candidates who'd been told no. Um, you figure the Colts probably felt like they wanted to tell the candidates uh, and were concerned about it breaking after the Super Bowl. So uh, Shane Sykin, as far as we know, is is going to be the next uh, Colts head coach whenever that officially comes down, at least sometime in the next couple of days. There'll be a press conference after that. Uh, I think the most interesting thing to me, and we will start here on this this emergency pod, is just typically, and what people always say is that when teams fire a head coach, they go for the opposite uh, of what they had. Um, to some degree, that's been kind of true, kind of not so far in this coaching cycle. Uh, Frank Reich is is very different than Matt Rule, um, and in a lot of ways that are specifically different. Uh, to what Carolina wanted, like they said, they wanted, they didn't want a CEO head type coach. Um, you know, they they wanted somebody who was more experienced in the NFL. Like there, there's a lot of reasons that he's the opposite of Rule. Uh, Sean Payton is the opposite of Nathaniel Hackett in that he's uh, kind of a my way or the highway guy. He's very experienced offensively. He's not a first time head coach. Um, D'Amico Ryan's is as a defensive mind is, is fairly similar, but although that's true of, of Peyton and Hackett, uh, a lot younger than Lovey Smith, that situation is hard to handicap. I think that's, like I think that's hiring, the difference. It feels like they've been hiring placeholders and this one feels like it's actually a, as, as awful as it is that Houston Texans have been hiring placeholders. And that's, you know, for a Houston podcast about how terrible it is to do that. That's what it seems like they've been doing. Ryan's doesn't feel like that. Uh, this one, this one, uh, 
Steichen is is not the opposite of Frank Reich. I, I'm sure there's going to be differences. There's differences between uh, just about any coach. You're not hiring the same person. But Shane Steichen coached under Frank Reich for two years in, uh, when he was a formative his formative years as an offensive quality control wide receivers guy for the Chargers. He works for Nick Sirianni, uh, who's coaching in the Super Bowl. Obviously, he's got the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Nick Sirianni uh, credits Frank Reich for much of his NFL development as a head coach. You can argue that with me as much as you want, but you're really arguing with Nick Sirianni, who's taken every opportunity to say that Frank Reich is his biggest NFL coaching influence. Um, to, he's, Shane Steichen is, is part of Frank Reich's coaching tree. Uh, maybe not a direct branch, but he's definitely an offshoot branch. That's how coaching, that's how coaching trees work. Uh, and it's interesting that the Colts didn't go the opposite route. With, with as many, they had candidates in there who would have felt like that. A lot of defensive coordinators, a lot of guys from other coaching systems, they, they didn't do that here. Um, and, and in a way, that's a little bit like what the Eagles did when they hired Sirianni, because going from Doug Peterson to Nick Sirianni is not as drastic a difference as you'd, as you'd assume that team would have done either. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. This is the third coaching hire that I've covered. And the last two were exactly what you're talking about. When the Bears went from Mark Tressman to John Fox, it was about as one as you could go. When the Lions went from Jim Caldwell to Matt Patricia, same deal. Whether it was age, side of the ball, fiery, not fiery, they just flip it on its head. This one was is very similar in some key ways and different in, in some others that we'll get into. But I think what it shows me is that at least from Chris Ballard's perspective, he does not look at the Frank Reich tenure as problematic or even a failure. I'm sure like, he actually looks at part of it and realizes just the situation he was in, five week one starters in five years at quarterback. That was not the job he signed up for. And some things just run their course. And sometimes it's time for just a new face, a new voice, a little bit different of approach. But that doesn't mean you have to reinvent the wheel. And that's kind of what this seems to come down to is that they ultimately realize that they're in a spot where they're going to draft a quarterback in the top 10. It's going to be a rookie. There's so much that goes into making that work. And they, and as Chris Ballard said, they cannot miss on that. If they miss on that, all these guys are going to be out of a job and they'll be doing it over again. So they wanted to, you know, a lot of the, the, the Frank Reich coaching tree still applies here, the quarterback development um, and, and so just a lot of the schematic elements to it. But, um, what kind of got stressed upon me in this this process, though, is everyone is, you know, the idea of like getting a coach for that rookie quarterback is much more than just schematic. It's also the leadership, the environment, the culture they can create. And so Shane Steichen, you know, it wasn't such a departure to where they're risking, you know, this bubbling over. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there there are some I think the differences that they went for uh, that are more subtle here are just Shane's a lot younger than Frank Reich. And he just, he's, he is a little bit more, I guess, intense is kind of the way I've heard it, which we can debate whether that, how much that matters. I think you can win either way. Obviously right now, Shane Sagan's in the same spot Frank Reich was in, who won a Super Bowl with the Eagles as an offense coordinator, but it is something that Jim Irsay was interested in. He made that very clear. He wanted someone that was a little bit more fiery and players talked about that. That was the one selling point with Jeff Saturday was, you know, this idea that he brought accountability and relatability. I think there's going to be a little bit more of that with Shane, Shane Steichen, or they hope so, because he's a 37-year-old coach who is a little bit more in your face. I've, he's been described to me as more Nick Sirianni than Frank Reich on the intensity scale. 
And it's just something a little bit different while also keeping some of those core principles that made them a competitive team for five years without a quarterback that they hope can uh, translate once they get that rookie quarterback in the door and start building something new. I, I don't think you necessarily have to have that in a head coach. I think that um, not this, this is, this isn't necessarily, this is just kind of a tangent, but which when you, when you do have a head coach, who's not that way, like Tony Dungy, was it that way? Um, Jim Caldwell wasn't Marv Levy's not that type of type of coach. Um, I don't think is Andy Reed's not really known as like a, like your like people up type of guy. Um, yeah. you, you can be successful that way, but what you, what you have to have is you have to have the, the other coaches on staff who are that way. So that's like the Sirianni piece. Now, like you're saying in this situation, if, if that's what Ursay wants is that kind of intensity, you know, out of his head coach, cause he hasn't had it in a while. That makes sense. Like that makes sense him moving. I think it can work either way, but you, you have to build it into your staff. Um, it won't, won't be as big of a dish issue here. I think the thing that I'm most interested in beyond the personality stuff with Steichen is just, I've already seen it. Everyone's talking about like, okay, does this mean they're going to draft Anthony Richardson because they have Jalen Hurts and he's running quarterback? I think that's maybe premature to, to assume that. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason I'm saying that is that the guy that he coached before this, the guy that Shane Steichen was the offensive coordinator for before the Eagles was Justin Herbert. Who's not a statue by any means? Like Justin Herbert's mobile, and he's he's got a lot more athleticism than people give him credit for. But he's a very different style of quarterback than Jalen Hurts, and represented a very different um, challenge in terms of how you tailor the offense to his strengths. And the fact that when I know the Chargers got fired, uh, but Steichen, when Steichen was the coordinator, Herbert won the Rookie of the Year. Oh, after yeah. after. After, as people will remember, there was a lot of talk in the draft process about how Herbert came from the wrong offensive system, wasn't going to be able to make the leap, uh, all that kind of stuff. And he wins rookie of the year. Um, and then you get Hertz in there. Steichen takes over the play calling halfway through the first year. Uh, they, they start him and Sirianni together, start tailoring the offense more to Jalen Hurts and figuring out what he can do. And now you have them with this explosive offense, explosive, diverse, creative run offense. That kind of highlights Hertz's strengths. I think that's important because even if they did, even if they do draft Anthony Richardson, whatever whatever you think about Anthony Richardson, he's going to be a different quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Some of the stuff might be the same, some of it might not. Um, no, no quarterback is the same. And I think the thing that's most interesting to me about Steichen, and the reason that I think uh, I'm interested and intrigued by this hire in terms of the young quarterback is. He seems like a guy who can do a good job of figuring out what a quarterback does best and then highlighting that, which is which is really that's the whole thing. That's the whole job with a young quarterback is it's not it's not finding somebody who fits exactly the last guy that you coached. It's finding a guy that you think has the most potential to be good and then figuring out how to make them good. That's that's what it really is. And so. It, those those two quarterbacks together, um, having them back to back, having different styles back to back, that's intriguing to me. That's interesting to me about how he's going to build the offense because maybe they do draft Richardson and they do some of the same stuff they did with Hertz. Maybe not. Maybe they draft Stroud and it's a different it's a different calculus altogether. I, I don't know what what Chris Ballard's evaluation of the quarterbacks is yet. I, I assume Shane Steichen's going to play a role in that. Um, but 
that that's that's the intriguing thing to me is that this seems like somebody who understands how to figure out what his what will bring the best out of his quarterback and then then focus on those things to help the quarterback play well. Yeah, you mentioned Justin Herbert, who's obviously different from Jalen Hurts, but the quarterback he had before that was Philip Rivers. Who's, I don't know yeah. that you, you go on the statue to mobile scale. I don't know that there's a bigger gap between Philip Rivers and Jalen Hurts. <laughs> so it is intriguing because uh, I'm going to try to do this. I want I want to do this real quick, just as an aside in the middle of this podcast. A bigger gap than Philip Rivers and Jalen Hurts. I'm going to go super extreme here. Uh, Randall Cunningham. And Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, but in the league at the same time. In the oh, Lamar Jackson. Lamar, Lamar Jackson, Jackson and Tom Brady. And Tom Brady. Or Matt Ryan. Yeah. That's Matt Ryan's is, mobile. Matt Ryan's mobile. He has like right. a like a fifty yard scramble at some point. You can't throw him in there. <laughs> Um, I do think that matters a lot because it shows you two things. Number one, it shows you how creative and adaptable a coach is to not just have one way. And sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't like Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay have a way and their ways incredibly successful has gotten to the Super Bowl. So, you know, who are you to criticize it? But at the same time, like it, it does show something to be able to build, you know, what was what he had with Justin Herbert, which is a very explosive down the field vertical type of passing game. Versus what Je- what Jalen Hurts had, which was a very developing arm, but incredible athleticism, and just the way that they incorporated to a very run heavy offense. It was like the Eagles are in the P- Super Bowl today, and they they got here by the in, in the playoffs. They've called um, some of this obviously has to do with leading in games, obviously, but they called eighty eight run plays versus uh, I think it was forty nine pass plays. And that is so far removed from how the Justin Herbert Chargers played. So. It shows you it shows you that adaptability, but that's very important because I think the Colts don't know who they're getting at quarterback yet. They may have ideas, and Shane even may have a preference, but we got a long way to go as far as uh, diving more into these quarterbacks, the pro days, the interviews with them. There's so much in this process to figure out who that guy is to the point of wanting to go up and make a move, and you're not the only team making a move. This isn't a team with the first pick in the draft, so they might end up with – C.J. Stroud, it might be Bryce Young, it might be Will Levis, it might be Anthony Richardson. So it became problematic to just tie yourself to a system for one of those guys when you are not in a position to control which you get. You've got to have the ability to pivot a little bit within this and make whoever it is work and make a system for him once you get to that point of realizing who that is. I don't know that there's a better uh, option on the market than Shane Sykin if that's what you're looking for, a guy who's built different systems for different guys. And also gotten those guys to improve within that system. Jalen Hurts is the best case for that because you can argue that there isn't a Justin Herbert in this draft. I know it, he wasn't thought of that great coming out of college. I think it was a missed evaluation in a poor system in college. Now he does look like one of those very special talents. But if you want to explain that away, I mean, the growth Jalen Hurts has taken from a guy that fell the second round. Some people didn't even know if he would be a quarterback in the NFL to what he's doing oh, this year. I forgot about those discussions. Yeah, I forgot about those discussions. <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah. And, and this year, he finished number two in the MVP race. And, like, the actual – a lot of it's rushing, obviously, but the passing numbers have been great. I mean, he's up to eight yards an attempt. His quarterback rating's over 101. They're um, very explosive. Like, they're good. And, and, and obviously, it's it's not all Jalen Hurts. It's, a, it's an amazing offensive line. He's got A.J. Brown. All that's true. But he took a tremendous leap from one year to – 
which is ultimately what has to happen with whoever the rookie is. They're not going to, it's very unlikely the guy's going to come in and be Justin Herbert and win offensive rookie of the year. That'd be great if he can do that again. But yeah, the most likely scenario is it's going to be a process, get better year to year, tailor the offense to his strengths and develop his weaknesses. And what Jalen Hurts has done is, has been the best uh, argument for that. Now, obviously Nick Sirianni, huge part of that too. There's a lot of tentacles to this, but they, interviewed a lot with Shane Steichen to try and figure out and people around him to try and figure out what his role was in that. And clearly they like what they saw, but I also want to emphasize that like that quarterback part of it, that's a key part of it, but that is only a slice of this is that there's a reason why, you know, Rich Passaccia, Aaron Glenn, uh, Raheem Morris were in the running for this. It wasn't only let's find the best quarterbacks coach out there. That's almost sort of a benefit or maybe, maybe that's what separated Shane in the end. But they really wanted that that overall uh, just a good football strategist, but also a leader for the entire franchise because this franchise really needs it right now. And I think they, the interviews will bring that out, and they they seem to have somewhat with Shane. There's also there's also a a sense that uh, by hiring Shane Steichen that this isn't as um, drastic a change as maybe it seemed at first. Um, you know, the, the Colts decided to keep Chris Ballard uh, by hiring Shane Steichen, who has uh, four years of experience coaching on the same staff with Gus Bradley, Ron Milas, and Richard Smith. It seems like there's a very, very good chance that Gus Bradley is going to stay. Colts didn't let him interview it elsewhere. Um, it, it, ju- it just seems pretty obvious that, that, that it, it's easy to draw those dots, um, especially since Steichen doesn't necessarily have a long relationship with another defensive coordinator type that I'm aware of. Like his, his counterpart, his counterpart in Philadelphia is probably going to be the head coach in uh, Arizona. It sounds like, or maybe a head coach in Arizona, Jonathan Gannon um, soon. And you'd assume that if there's defensive staffers leaving from Philadelphia, they'd be going with Gannon, Um, you know, and then obviously before that, with the Chargers, it was Bradley for a long time. And before that, he was a little bit further down on the coaching staff's depth chart, honestly. And so I, I think that that's – it seems – the more I talk about it, the more it seems like it would be a shock if it's not Gus Bradley back again. Um, but that yeah. that adds some continuity. That adds some – some a sense of uh, less reinventing of the wheel, I guess, you know, with, with where this is. Now – we can debate whether or not that's good or bad. I think that keeping this defensive staff around, I, th- I thought the defense, for the most part, played really well for most of the season and then kind of collapsed under the weight of everything that was going on towards the end of the season. Um, Bradley, I thought, was was definitely a success. So if they keep him, that's probably a, a good thing. It also gives Steichen an uh, experienced guy to help help him out on staff. Gus Bradley was a head coach. You know, that's that's something that a lot of first-time head coaches want. Even even coaches who aren't first-time head coaches want to have want to have that, you know. Sean McVay has Raheem Morris and has, has talked a lot about him. Um there, there's a lot of guys like that on different staffs who uh if you can have that that right-hand man who has head coaching experience it helps. So that's that's interesting to me too. You, you know, there, there's a chance here that this isn't quite as big of a reset as like the entire roster philosophically now i will say this getting a new quarterback going to a rookie quarterback a young quarterback and a new head coach there's obviously a reset here in some in some way but 
it's just not as as drastic as if they had gone the complete opposite and you're getting rid of Gus Bradley, you're bringing in a completely different defensive system, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's a good fit for a couple reasons because it's number one, there is chemistry coming in that they there is relationships between uh, you know between Shane Steich and Gus Bradley and Ron Miles and Richard Smith to the point where he and Ron Miles actually coached together a long time in San Diego like that. That was before Gus even got there. Uh, so at one level, it's that chemistry is good, but this isn't just a, well, he's going to come in here and bring his friends. It was also what Chris Ballard was interested in. He very much liked the Gus Bradley system, felt like he could draft and develop to it and really did well in that side of it last year. It got overlooked by the offense, but the specific fits they found, whether it was unique in whether it was, Rodney Thomas in the seventh round, whether it was Rodney McLeod on a, a small deal, whether it was Stephon Gilmore, like they hit a lot of right notes. I just think the defense, like you said, it got it collapsed into the way of the offense. And also it ran out of edge rushers at a certain point when Taekwon got hurt, Quiddy got hurt. That's how this league wins. If you don't have enough of them, you're not going to be an elite defense, but, uh, but, but enough is here so that it's, it's, it's just a good fit as far as what the GM feels like he can adequately build around and what philosophically wants. And also, I'm you know, there's chemistry with Shane Second. Now, again, we're we're assuming that he's going to keep him. We don't know that for certain. We'll hear in the coming days what his plans are. But I know that was a big part of the conversation uh, in these interviews, and it became a it just it was a very interesting search for this reason. This is why it, it was difficult for a while. It took such a long time because you know they got caught between they wanted to be thorough, they wanted to find the right guy, they they didn't want to rush into it, all that stuff. At the same time, what they risked was not being able to build a staff. And I saw this go this way in Detroit when they, the Lions hired Matt Patricia and he came from New England, didn't want to take any Bill Belichick's assistance. And he had a very hard time finding staffers as a first-time head coach who didn't have connections. And so that could be a concern with Shane Steichen. But instead, he comes here where you have defensive staffers that he knows that he could work well, that he's worked with before. You also have a coordinator in Bubba Ventrone. I know they'd love to keep. Um, I think Shane should keep him. I'd be surprised if you can find an upgrade there that you that, that feels as seamless as that. We'll see what he ends up doing. The, the key hire for him, I think, is going to be obviously the whole offensive staff, but offensive line is is the area that, as we've talked about, they have to get better at. They have to completely rewire. And that's where Shane Sykin, to me, was among the more intriguing candidates because he's coming right from a system that does it better than anybody. The Eagles offensive line, the way they coach it, teach it, develop it, draft it, all that is incredible. And uh, you know, they, they, their assistant O-line coach over there is, is a guy that, that they could bring over here, Ron Esteban, that um, could end up, you know, if that ends up being the offensive line coach, like that, that's a very good plan to move this forward. And it sets Shane Steichen up where you just don't have as much on your plate. You are the head coach for a first time. There are challenges that will come with that. But it's easier to still kind of stay mostly in your lane as that offensive mind, offensive coordinator type, and hand the defense to someone like Gus Bradley, hand special teams arrangements to someone like Bubba Ventrone. Those possibilities are here and we'll just see if that's what he ends up doing but i would be surprised if if that's not where at least they're leaning right now yeah i i know um that if if they could have if there was any, like i know under the previous staff if there was any way they could have gotten stoutland they would have done it and obviously stoutland has been in philadelphia forever he's not like outlasted like three coaching staffs now um and so somebody who's worked with him as long as Istvan has, which I think is four or five seasons now, um, you, you want to tap into that if you can. 
Um, because Jeff Stoutland is as good as it gets when it comes to developing guys. You know, so uh, I think you're right. I think the offensive line coach is, is super – that Chris Ballard said it. I, I was going back over for our, the, the initial story we put up on IndyStar.com about Shane Steichen. It's going through what Chris Ballard said about the uh, the season. And I think maybe we missed this or we were dealing with it so much else. But, like, he basically at one point just put all of it where we all thought it was. He said, looking back early in the season, we had some changes to the offensive line. That's where our struggles occurred early, and we just never really recovered for them. That's true. It's right. Like, yeah. the reason Matt Ryan didn't work in Indianapolis, had a lot, I think, had a lot more to do with the offensive line than it did with any of the schematic stuff. They Like, we all knew that Matt Ryan wasn't going to work if they couldn't protect him. And yeah. it didn't. And, I'll take, and it a, so, I'll take it a step further. It, just to take it a step further, he also has he also talked about, like, the other issue you would have said about this, and this got pinned a lot on Frank Reich, was that it felt like it felt like they kind of the team got stale. If you talk about energy, intensity, and all that, what Chris Ballard said in that presser was he he believes that your offensive line sets the tone and the demeanor and the competitive energy of everybody in that moment. You know, when Nick Foles is on the ground and then the offensive line stepped up for him, he said it was very problematic. Like all the stuff kind of goes back to the fact that he invested more in an offensive line than any other GM in football. And the product was both bad in performance, but it was bad in demeanor. It was bad in culture that has to get completely rewired. And so I know, you know, I, I just have to imagine that was a huge part of the interview process. And so um, hiring a guy from the Eagles who's gotten to oversee how they've done it. Uh, that, that is a huge advantage for him over some of these other candidates. Yeah. Um, obviously, Reich had the same, you know, background and, and couldn't quite tap into it. Um, couldn't quite tap into it the same way. But, but you know, you, you, you assume that, that Steichen's going to be able to do that with Stoutland not going anywhere and him having a protege who's been there for a long time now. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, and the other thing about the offensive line, if you look at, at what Reich did in, in Carolina, he hired – uh, James Campen, which who was already on staff and they decided to keep him. But also James Campen is essentially the reason that like, if you've ever paid any attention to the Packers, that like a bunch of fourth round picks ended up being pro bowlers there. That's all James Campen. He was there forever. Um, and so like, you can tell like just the way they put together that staff, it probably wasn't a very hard sell to him based on what happened last year. You know, that the offensive line and, and you see it with, with, with some of the rookie quarterbacks around the league too. Like, you know, Chicago needs offensive linemen. They need to do something to protect Justin Fields. Like that's this, that's another good example of they've got to make sure this offensive line is in a good place going forward. That's some of that stuff's going to shake out here as the rest of the offseason goes, as they get into free agency, as they get into the draft. But I think Steichen and his history in Philadelphia, um, being able to tap into that, I think probably helps. Yeah, and so it's like you when you're trying to make a decision like this, you think, what is this guy? able to bring right now and what do we need to supply him with and when you think it through those lens i think it's a really good fit because he can bring uh you know the the quarterback the offensive acumen some of the ideas of the offensive line a little bit more of the intensity and where he you would say he's lacking is you know building out a defensive staff and maybe some of that side of the ball um same thing with the special teams coordinator and they have a lot of that stuff so um it's, it's definitely a guy that feels like could, can work here of course there's so many things to that'll have to happen for that to work, including picking the right quarterback. And so 
this whole conversation is going to shift to that. But clearly Shane must like enough of the options in the draft too, because whoever they end up drafting, that's kind of how this goes. Quarterback uh, gets tied to the, uh, the, the head coach, head coach tied to the quarterback and their success is intertwined. And um, this is just kind of the, the first half of that new equation. The special teams coordinator piece, I was thinking about this earlier because apparently D'Amico Ryans is keeping Houston's special teams coordinator. It feels like that position more than any other spot coaching staff's position in the NFL is a spot where a guy can just stay through lots of different staffs. Um, and I, we, I don't know. I haven't seen any reporting on Bubba Ventron's contract or him interviewing elsewhere. I assume that he would have been interviewed to be somebody else's special teams coordinator by now because they've been really, really good. His resume is stellar. Um, so I assume he might be under contract and in the same spot as Gus Bradley. Um, but that that seems like a position where, you know, Wright kept the same one, Chris Tabor in Carolina, another guy they liked. Like there, there's, there's a lot of special teams guys who get carried over. And I think if the Colts can carry over Ben Ventrone, they have to. He's just so good at it. Um, and his units have also been really good at what Ballard has always wanted from the special teams, which is developing guys to end up playing bigger roles in other spots. Like Zaire Franklin is probably the best example of that this year. Um, Steichen, the interesting thing with Steichen, I think he's the third youngest coach in the NFL uh, and not really that far behind Sean McVay and Kevin O'Connell. I'm I'm personally a little bit uh, I feel like I dodged a bullet here. He's 356 days older than me. I don't have to have that existential question about being older than the coach I cover yet. Uh, I was close. Um, the, uh, so, so that's, but that's another interesting piece of this is Shane Steichen's very young. Now I'll say this, he's been coaching in the league for more than a decade. Like he's got plenty of experience for being that young. Um, but that's another interesting piece of this. He's, he's the youngest coach the Indianapolis version of the Colts have ever hired. He's the second youngest coach the franchise has ever hired behind Don Shula, who was 33 in 1963 when the, the Baltimore Colts hired him. Yeah, and I think it did end up mattering because that that's one, you know, we're looking for subtle differences between him and Frank Reich, and that's one of them. Again, like, we can debate if that matters, if that's where he should go, but it's a different direction to a point. It's something that could make him maybe a little bit more relatable if he's a little bit closer to Nick Sirianni, who's that's kind of been one of his secret uh, tools this year with the Eagles is just how well he relates, how much he, um, how, how just some their fun vibe out there. Uh, you know, I covered Darius Slate when he sort of became a shell of himself in Detroit, got over to Philadelphia now under Nick Sirianni and is, is kind of his full, full version again. And so some of that can carry over with Shane and yet it's still a good balance because again, what was the concern with, you know, they, they went after Jeff Saturday for some of that relatability and um, some of that, but he he was a guy who didn't have experience and hadn't paid his dues and didn't couldn't couldn't quite win over a staff that way when you haven't walked up that that ladder. And you look at Shane Steichen in the NFL, he got into it in 2011 as a defensive assistant for the Chargers, and then he spent his first five seasons as either defensive assistant or a quality control coach. Like that, those are gr- like grinded out type positions before you get any real, uh, you know, responsibility Then, what four seasons here as a quarterback's coach. And then now he's three and a half seasons in as an offense coordinator. So he's climbed that ladder. He's climbed it quicker than some, but this is how a lot of hires that go in the NFL these days is it's, it's just getting younger and younger ever since, you know, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, you mentioned O'Connell and uh, Kevin Stefanski was like this. This is, 
kind of becoming a new wave. You're just trying to find that balance between can you get that sort of younger, modern, creative, offensive mind who isn't in over his head the way Nathaniel Hackett was. And that'll be a test for Shane Steichen, but I think there's enough in his background to believe that that he's he, he could strike that balance pretty well. Well, the, the interesting piece about the age thing is I don't think it was a target for the Colts because they didn't they didn't go with all young offensive court with all young type That's guys. True. Like Wink Martindale was in there, Rich Bisacci is in there. Rich Bisacci is 62, 63, 62, 63. Martindale's 59. Um, they had guys from like every age range in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't feel like the age thing is what was a target. I think it's just interesting to see them end up hiring a 37-year-old guy. Um, you know, I believe he's one year younger than Matt Ryan, though. That's kind of interesting. That's, that would make sense. Yeah, I, I think Matt Ryan's two years older than me. So um, I, I don't like that I can. I don't like that I can do the math by just adding one or two years off of my own. That's not great. Um, I, I always said I always said that I would consider myself old when I was older than all of the guys still playing in the four major professional sports. But that that little uh, that little bar I set for myself might have been challenged if the head coach I covered was younger than me. That that might have that might have got my attention a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, and the other one I forgot on that that same vein was Mike McDaniel last year. Like that that was going really really young too. So no, I, I think you're right. It was not specifically again. If you really look at it, there wasn't a specific like one thing that the Colts did want in all of this. Uh, because they, they did keep it very open-minded. They wanted it to be all sides of the ball and all ages and all, you know, but, but the, the commonality they all had uh, outside of Jeff Saturday was they were all current coordinators in the NFL and fairly established at being that. Um, I guess the one exception would be, you know, you had a first-time coordinator in Aaron Glenn who got pretty close but had a long playing career. But there's been buildup for all of these guys, and I think Shane's got that while also being, I don't know, I mean, he's a 37-year-old who's, who's – a pretty fiery guy and we'll see how that plays, but that's something that I think played well with the owner and and was something he was looking for. And that was a key part of this too. Um, With Steichen coming on, it'll be interesting to see just how fast this all starts because the combine is only like two weeks away now. (laughs) Um, It it, it was a long search. It ended up being – the funny thing is that as much as we talked about it being a long search – like this kind of happens every year because a lot of times Super Bowl coordinators end up getting hired. It's it's it felt like a long search, but in reality, was it? Uh, not if you land on a Super Bowl offensive coordinator, you know. Like the hire could have happened on Tuesday or so, if if it wasn't a Super Bowl offensive coordinator, which I I don't think that would have been that far out of. It's long, and they interviewed a lot of people, but Ballard told us all that stuff was going to happen. Ballard said the thing he learned from the McDaniel search was don't go into it with a, with the end already in mind. So that explains the wide range of candidates. He said we're going to talk to a lot of people. He said we're going to talk to a bunch of defensive. It, we, we can debate whether or not like that's the way to go about a search, but that's exactly how he said he was going to do a search. And and the ultimate the ultimate reality is like it doesn't matter anymore. How they got to the, how they got to Shane Steichen, like this whether or not wh- how how they did the search isn't going to matter um, at all unless Shane Steichen didn't doesn't work out and he might not work out for a lot of different reasons like Frank Reich ultimately didn't work out because they couldn't find a permanent answer at head at quarterback 
and it sunk his it sunk his situation, you know. And so uh, the head coach is, is a big piece of this. But I think that the ultimate lesson of this is whatever they do next, whatever comes next with the with the quarterback and picking the right one and developing in the right way. That's ultimately uh, the most important thing for this franchise going forward. And I think it's probably why I'm most intrigued by Shane Steichen, given his recent history with two young quarterbacks, after a lot of time with Phillip Rivers learning what an NFL quarterback should be. That's kind of the way I look at his career. Like he spent a lot of time with Phillip Rivers learning how an NFL quarterback should conduct themselves, how they should prepare, like what, what it should look like. And then he got two young guys and figured out how to help them reach their potential very quickly in the NFL. Yeah, I think varied experiences are always key for this. I talk about that a lot. It's, it's, I like coaches who come from multiple teams in multiple positions and just having, having had different chairs, seeing different regimes do it, what's worked, what's not, rather than just c- carry over one uh, option, one system, and assume that's going to work. Um, for example, when I was in Detroit and Matt Patricia got there, the only quarterback he knew was Tom Brady. So everything they did with Matthew Stafford was trying to make him Tom Brady, which is a bad plan. And so I think Shane Sykin are, are you sit saying, down. Are you saying that there's not a lot of guys like Tom Brady? Believe it or not. Uh, believe it or not, that plan didn't work so well. But what's cool with Shane Steichen is that, like, he's worked with these different types. And all coaches will go back to what's worked for them before. I mean, that's why they got the job. But for him, he has a few different versions of that. He can... He can get C.J. Stroud in here if he's the pick and go back to maybe some of the Philip Rivers stuff, some of the Justin Herbert stuff. It's not like he's going to force, you know, he's not going to force C.J. Stroud to be Jalen Hurts just because that's what I've had before. And that sounds bad, but a lot of coaches have done that over the years. I mean, there, there was a famous story of when uh, Steve Mariucci got to Detroit and he was trying to force Joe Harrington into doing exactly what uh, what Steve Young used to do as a mobile quarterback. Because that's that's the system he knew, and that, that's what I know, and that's what we got to run. And I just don't think it's going to be like that at all. And that's that's where this stood out a little bit more. And that's where um, some coaches, when you dive into them, you think through it that way. What are they actually going to compare their new quarterback to? You could see some some more risk there, or or less versatility, less adaptability, I guess you'd say. So I I think he's I think he's the right guy to try and to fix that position, find a path forward. And now they have to just see it through. Is that they have to. You know, they, they have to find I'm always about when we talk through these candidates. It was all about whatever candidate you end up with, build a plan that works for him, for you, for the young quarterback. That's cohesive that people are on board with and and let it not splinter. So I assume Shane Sykin taking this job this late. We talk about like, does it matter how quickly they came to decision? I think it only matters in terms of can you get the kind of staff that you want and need and that's why I think he's going to keep Bubba Ventrone and Gus Bradley in the defensive staff. I think most of that's going to be here. I think that challenge is lessened, and I think it's a good um, way to step in for a rookie quarter, a rookie head coach. And one one comparison I'll make, not and I'm not saying this is the same thing, but a huge help for uh, Sean McVay in L.A. was when he had uh, when he had uh, Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator and just gave the whole defense to him. I'm not saying Gus Bradley's is the same thing as that but the idea can be the same as you know let him focus and build that way which is what Gus Bradley wants like don't micromanage which I've seen some coaches do um so Shane Sykin's got an opportunity to stay in a lane here and, and really 
really dive in and throw his whole weight behind making this rookie quarterback work. If he gets that part right, this is probably going to work pretty well. If they if they find that guy, if they make that guy work, even if there are imperfections in other levels of this thing, that is ultimately what's going to happen. And that the answer to that is so layered. It's cultural. It's schematic. It's it's all these different things. But I think they gave themselves a good chance with this kind of a hire. Yeah, it turns out it turns out that as much as we talk about the head coach and the play calling and the general manager and all that stuff, the, the easiest way to win in the NFL is to get a great quarterback. <laughs> and so that's that's sort of a we're we're, we're going to be talking. Uh, there'll be a press conference at some point this week, I would assume, uh, or probably early this week, uh, introducing the new head coach. Uh, and and we'll have a lot to talk about there. We'll have a lot to talk about with staffing stuff. But then we get into the real. Uh, starting with the combine, we're going to get into the real intrigue of this offseason can the Colts find the right quarterback with the pick they've got because they finally have a pick can they find the right quarterback then we can get back to the are, can now now can Shane Steichen and the rest of the staff develop in the right way uh that's that's my son Spencer making an appearance he's not used to Sunday afternoon podcasts if you could if you heard that um he's but, ready to uh, watch the Super Bowl uh I know I know well they, they also just watched that my office TV just has has Northwestern upsetting Purdue. Sorry, Purdue fans. I don't mean to bring it up. Um, has Northwestern upsetting Purdue. They've been trying to ask me questions about that. I've been trying to mute my mic the whole time. And he finally got me while I was talking. Uh, so we'll have more as this plays out. I don't know what to expect on the timing. I, I think the result of the game might have something to do with it, honestly. Um I think it'd be kind of funny if uh, they just, if even if the Eagles win, if they just put Shane Steichen on a red eye and made him talk at like eleven o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, please no. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, see, you said please no, but let me let me pitch it to you another way. What if that's the best way to get his unfettered thoughts? Because he's not slept oh. at all and he's coming off of a Super Bowl. We might that's get true. Like, we might get like more information than we could have ever wanted if we do that. You just better be careful with the the champagne and the celebration if they win. I I just don't think that the Colts are going to do that. But we're they'll probably be a press conference soon. The search apparently is it has reached its end or is close to reaching its end. We'll have more coming on that, and then and then there's not much time. The rest of the offseason beckons. So for the Colts Cover Two podcast, I'm Joel Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. Enjoy the Super Bowl, or hope you enjoyed it if you're listening to this after it's already happened. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.